One of our strongest orphan care partnerships is Compact Family Services. Compact works through the vast network of Assemblies of God churches across the country uh, to serve orphans. It embodies these three growing ministries, Hillcrest Children's Home, Highlands Maternity Home, and the Transitional Living Center for teens that are aging out of foster care. Jay Mooney is the executive director of Compact, and he's a great leader, great man of God, who's called to lead God's people to better the lives of kids living without the loving support of a family. Jay's become a great friend to Timberline and a great friend to me. Would you help me welcome Jay Mooney as he shares with us this morning? What a great privilege it is to be at Timberline Church this morning for this wonderful, incredible Orphan Care Weekend. You're a great church with a great story. You know, the 147th Psalm in verse 3 really centralizes the theme of this weekend. It says, God heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. You know, in every case... It's a great story. And God is especially jealous for those that we might call underdogs. Now, Colorado is a bit of a sentimental place for me. In case you haven't discovered by now, I'm from a different country, better known as the South. And um, in the South, from where I'm from, there was a famous quarterback by the name of Peyton Manning. So I'm a little uh, jealous for Colorado. Secondly, um, a childhood hero of mine, a Hall of Fame basketball player by the name of Pete Maravich, was filming his life story at Focus on the Family when he went on to be with the Lord. Pete Maravich was someone that I greatly admired as a kid. And in large part, it wasn't just his basketball talent. It was that he just always aimed high in life. And he reached the pinnacle without question of life when he surrendered his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Pete Maravich once made this statement. He said, love never fails, character never quits, and with patience and persistence, dreams do come true. That's really influenced my life a lot as an adult, as a a husband, a father, as a ministry leader. In 1996... I was pastoring a church in North Metro Atlanta, and I had a life-changing encounter with God during a time of prayer. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 17, the, the Bible says that in the last days, your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Outside of my salvation encounter with Jesus and my baptism in the Holy Spirit, This was the single most formative spiritual moment in my life. In fact, it often wakes me up in the morning and puts me to bed at night. In that spiritual vision, God showed me a large scene of underdog kids becoming champions for Jesus Christ. It's been almost 19 years now. And since that day, I've been chasing underdog kids. And it brings me to Timberline Church this morning as the executive director of Assemblies of God Compact Family Services, a partner of you, your ministry. 
AG Compact began in 1944, and since that time it served thousands of children and youth and families, and it's had a rich growth time that's happening just this year alone. In fact, we've doubled the size of our programming in 2015. We started as Hillcrest Children's Home, grew into Highlands Maternity Home and Placement Center, also the Transitional Living Center that provides a place for kids who are emancipating or aging out of the foster care system. Instead of them having, having a struggling story, they can go to college, build a trade, and talk about a thriving future. But we've also added the therapeutic needs that are greatly um, facing some of these young people. And we're providing residential treatment care, and we're also providing therapeutic foster care and, and an emergency uh, respite shelter as well. God is helping us to be a good ministry partner to Timberline. You know, on behalf of the many, many people who you are impacting, I want to deeply from the, my heart say to you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And this morning, I want to let a young lady by the name of Tammy say thank you personally. This is Tammy's story. Hi, my name is Tammy. I'm the health service coordinator at Assemblies of God Compact Family Services, and I'm a product of the Highlands Maternity Home. And this is my story. I grew up knowing I was adopted. It was celebrated that I was chosen. And when I was 20 years old, I got to meet my birth mother. She began telling me a story about how she was attacked. She came home. A gentleman came in and attacked her. And she found herself pregnant. And she did not want the baby. All my life, it became this mission to find out what my history was. So when I finally met my birth mother and heard the story, it was another, it was another punch, really, because now I knew that I came from a rape and that I wasn't wanted from her. And I had to really have this moment where all my life I doubted God that he had a plan. But the truth is, he was saying to you, I saved you before you were even born. So she was walking up and down the streets and found herself uh, walking into the Sons of God church. She told him the story about how she'd been attacked, knowing that the pastor would definitely give him the money for the abortion. She only needed $50. Um, the pastor was adamant, that's not what we do. We believe in life. He knew of a place called Highlands, where it's an adoption agency and a place where women can safely go. They said, we can send you to Highlands and you can have your baby there and have a wonderful family adopt the baby, a Christian Bible-believing family that will adopt the baby. I felt like that was me that I was that child that was um, just kind of left up in the air and these godly parents came in and rescued me and it was because of Highlands. The family that adopted me was amazing and would just preach the word of God and just instilled it in my heart that I was not an accident and they threw this big party about how important it was that I was chosen and I was loved and I was just as much a part of their family as anyone else that had ever been there. Um, came to Christ and met, went to Southwestern Assemblies of God University, met my husband there, got married. Uh, we have two beautiful children, have been um, lead pastors for the last 13 years. When our hearts begin to tug and pull towards uh, Compact, 
So when I toured the campus and came here, it was very emotional seeing these children that were essentially me. And looking around at the staff and the, um, the directors of this place, it's, I look at them with different eyes because these people, these people are changing the course of history. And so when we toured the campus, it was there that my heart was tugged, my husband's heart was being pulled, and we knew that this is where I wanted to be, this is where he wanted to be pouring into those lives and giving back to the very organization that saved me. Um, I wouldn't have been born had it not been for the maternity home and for Compact. And now I'm, I'm blessed to work here. It's a, it's a bizarre dream when I tell people uh, where I'm going um, and what I, where I am and what I'm doing. It's, it's like a Lion King moment when you're being held over the cliff and you're like the circle of life. God had a plan from before I was born and for me to give back to the place that literally saved my life. Every, every offering that goes by, every dollar you give, every, every moment you stop and pray, you are saving lives that Satan really did intend to be destroyed. So what's the return on investment? It's not just an offering. You've given babies and people like me the chance to live, to live life to the fullest, to have joy, to experience the love of Jesus, and to, for a hope and a future. And now I'm able to minister to the children here and um, the mothers. And anybody that steps on campus, I'm able to tell them that you have a hope and you have a future. And the churches that give, they save people like me. And the return on your investment is saving a life. And we know that God is love and he's come to give us life and life to the fullest. Thank you. And my story is not over yet. I am a product of your compassionate action. What a great story. Scott Fitzgerald said, show me a hero and I'll show you a tragedy. One of the great tragedies in American life today that needs heroes is fatherlessness. Did you know that almost 30% of the world's population of children and youth do not live with their biological father? Did you know that almost 25 million of those are in the United States? Have you ever had your attention drawn to a need and thought to yourself, is there something that I can do? What should I do? Sometimes the best place to start is just to offer help. You know, great redemptive stories often begin with simple acts of obedience. And you and I should never underestimate the impact of a seemingly simple act of obedience or compassionate action. Compassion begins when we allow someone's pain to reach our heart. And model compassion puts that compassion into action. You know, the New Testament records nine different occasions where it talks about compassion in action. And really for the sake of time this morning, I want to focus on one particular story in the New Testament. It's called the Good Samaritan. And it's found in the 10th chapter of the book of Luke. And this morning, I want to read that short story. I want to give attention to the idea of compassion. And I want to 
explain that and how we can embrace and express it. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer replied, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Let me just pause right there. From Exodus chapter 22 and verse 22, in the Old Testament, all the way towards the end of the New Testament, in James chapter 1 and verse 27, the Bible makes it explicitly clear that a qualified neighbor would be a fatherless child or an orphan. And herein, this particular lawyer is trying to exempt or exclude some people from his love list. He wanted to list them, if you would, as non-neighbors. Jesus recognized this. And so Jesus told him a story following. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, which, be, which would be the equivalent of a laborer's wage for two days. And he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers. And the lawyer replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Verse 33, it talks about the Samaritan being the one who had compassion on the one who had been robbed and beaten and left half dead. That word compassion comes from a a root word that simply means this, to be moved as to one's inwards. To be moved as to one's inwards. To be moved deeply. Down in the core of who we are. Not just a moment of feeling, but it moves you. True compassion moves us. Compassion is something that we do, not just something we feel. So what should we do when we feel deeply for those who hurt? 
How does one act on felt compassion? What should we do? Well, we would do well to follow the model of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan story really models for us three ways to put our compassion in action. It refers to six different verbs in this story that are actionables that this Samaritan took. The first point would be this. Model compassion sees the need, sees the need, and then goes into action. It doesn't see the need and walk by on the other side of the road. It sees the need and goes to it. It goes to it. Here is a great contrast. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And this contrast where two then walk around it and one walks to it. See, model compassion sees the need and goes to it into action. The second thing I would note to us about this story is that model compassion cares without prejudice, and it gives without condition. See, these two that walked around the need, that didn't fit their prejudice. And ironically, the Samaritan, it didn't fit his prejudice, but yet he cared for the need without prejudice. And not only did he care for the need, but the Bible says that in verse 35, he took out two days wages of his own money after he had already demonstrated care by binding up the wounds and taking him to a, um, a rescue place, if you would, an inn before there were hospitals. And he then takes out two days wages and gives it to the administrator and says, here, While I have to go, you use this to take care of him. And when I return, if the need is more, I will give you what you need. He doesn't give with conditions. He gives without conditions. It's a model way for us to embrace and express our compassion. One can give without caring, but can one care without giving? Model compassion loves God. And neighbor as well. Remember how this story began? The lawyer asked Jesus a question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responded responded with two questions. What does the Bible say? What does the word of God say? How do you read it? And he replied properly. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Model compassion sees the need, goes into action, cares without prejudice, gives without condition, and model compassion loves God and thereby loves neighbor and shows mercy. When Jesus finished the story of the Good Samaritan, he asked the lawyer, who do you think of these three was the one who was a real neighbor To the person in need. And the lawyer replied. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said. You go. And do likewise. The good Samaritan story. Stops at this point. 
It doesn't continue on and tell us the backstory of what happened to all the people that were involved. Who were they? What happened? What were the circumstantial impacts that arose? I think sometimes stories like that are recorded in Bible because God wants us to tell those stories in places just like this because God's still writing the ends of those stories. We can't always know the end of all those moments. But every single time we embrace this and express it, countless acts of compassion are still growing in individual and true stories. On April the 2nd, 2004, ABC News was in a segment of their broadcast known as the Person of the Week. On this particular broadcast at time and segment, they would award someone after reading the resume of what they had done. They would award them and recognize them as a great individual. The one that they were awarding on this particular day was someone who had already received the Nobel Peace Prize, had received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest civilian award that we have in the United States, and now was going to be recognized as ABC News Person of the Week. It was said that this individual was responsible for saving two billion lives from famine. They announced him. His name, Norman Borlaug. No one had ever heard of him. How could someone have such an impact and no one ever heard of them? Norman Borlaug, now at 91 years of age, receiving an award. In the 1940s, Norman Borlaug had figured out a way to create a high-yield seed for corn and wheat that would grow in arid climates from the dust bowls of West Africa to the southwestern portions of our own country to Siberia, Central and South America. And because of that, Two billion lives had been estimated in the decades since to have been fed rather than starving. It wasn't reported, but the news anchor that day actually gave away the award to the person who was not responsible for it all. It wasn't Norman Borlaug. It was a man by the name of Henry Wallace. Henry Wallace was vice president of the United States under Franklin Delano Roosevelt. FDR would replace him as vice president with Harry Truman for political purposes and reasons. But while Henry Wallace was vice president, having formerly been the secretary of agriculture, agriculture, he leveraged the power of his office to open up a laboratory in Mexico. And he hired a man by the name of Norman Borlaug to go and to uh, create this, this high-yield seed. So, see, it really wasn't Norman Borlaug that was responsible. It was Henry Wallace. Henry Wallace. Or was it Henry Wallace that was responsible? Some say it was George Washington Carver. Now, maybe that's a name you're familiar with. George Washington Carver, a sophomore student at Iowa State University studying agriculture. There he had a dairy sciences professor that had a six-year-old son by the name of Henry. Yes, Professor Wallace had a little son named Henry Wallace who would grow up to be vice president of the United States. But when he was a little boy, he found a star student of his father by the name of George Washington Carver. And George Washington Carver used to take him out on the weekends and teach him about the vast capacities of God's creation that he believed that humanity still didn't understand 
was such a great blessing. So when he grew up, he leveraged the power of his office as vice president to hire Norman Borlaug to hybridize a high-yield wheat seed that is now fed billions of people. See, not Norman Borlaug, not even Henry Wallace. Yes, they play parts, but George Washington Carver. But others say it wasn't George Washington Carver. They say it was Moses and Susan. Moses and Susan were farmers in Diamond, Missouri, not far from where I live in Springfield, Missouri. Moses and Susan were farmers during a time in our country when some people were practicing things that we are deeply ashamed of and regretful for today. But they didn't enslave Mary Washington. They gave Mary Washington a job on their farm. And there were some people known as Quantrill's Raiders, and they didn't like it at all. And so on one January winter, they came in and burned down Moses and Susan's farm, killed and pillaged, and in the process, tried to steal away a little baby boy to sell him into slavery. Mother would not let go, and Mary was dragged off with them, with him. After some communication, Susan arranged for her husband Moses to meet with these masked hooded men with eyes cut out in the coverings and torches in their hands. He rode his only remaining horse to the border of Kansas and Missouri. And there Moses traded that horse for a burlap sack. And when those guys rode off, he fell to his knees and he opened up that sack. And a little boy naked was shivering on the inside. He opened up his coat and he put that little boy on his chest. And he walked for two days all the way back to his farm. And there Moses and Susan made a promise to little George. They said, George, we will give you our name. We will feed you. We will provide for you. And we will give you an education. Because Jesus said, go and do likewise. We were made for compassionate action. God is writing stories that heaven is recording. And someday, whether we hear them here on earth or we meet them face to face, God is redeeming his creation. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the goodness and the work and the ministry of Timberline and its partnering ministries. God, this morning, I thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of all of that, we don't forget how valuable and important it is to walk in obedience and caring for those who are widows and orphans in this world. And God, thank you for reminding us. Thank you for a church that sets aside a weekend like this to be able to recapture again the beauty of the call and reminded about the beauty of the potential impacts and that are happening even now. Lord, bless Timberline and bless your people and glorify your name as you redeem your creation in Jesus' name.